Hi, all. It's Sarah. Before we start this week's episode with Tia Williams, I wanted to take a minute to tell you that I have a book coming out in August. Bombshell is the first in my new Hell's Bells series about a Victorian-era girl gang. And this book is about Cecily Talbot, who you'll remember from earlier series and books. Uh, Take no prisoners, take no garbage, heroine. And Caleb Calhoun, the American who's been wild about her from the moment they met, but who, of course, because it's a Sarah McLean novel, can't have her. Let's just say I poured a lot of Fate of Mates 2020 energy into this one, and I hope you love it. You can pre-order Bombshell now from wherever you get your books, or if you order it from my local independent bookstore, Word, in Brooklyn, it will come signed and with fun swag, including a Faded Mate sticker. You can find links to all of this in show notes, as usual. And um, don't forget that if you're unable to order it from a bookstore, you can always get yourself on the list and request it from the library. Thanks for letting me talk at you. And now, on to the episode. Welcome to Fate of Mates, everybody. We are so excited. I'm very excited. I'm so excited. (laughs) Yay! We have a Reese book club pick today. Brand new, like shiny Reese book club pick. <laughs> like fresh off fresh off the press. Newly minted, Two days. I believe. <laughs> Two, Two days. days. Yeah. I'm Sarah McLean. I write romance novels and I read romance novels. And I'm Jennifer Prokop. I'm a romance reader and critic. And we have special guest Tia Williams with us today. Welcome, Tia. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Tia is the author of Seven Days in June, which is one of our favorite books, I think we can say now, it's one of our favorite yes. books of the year already. Absolutely. I think that's fair. It is. Um, Thank you. Oh, it was such a delight to read, and not just because I'm a writer and a New Yorker, but that was part of <laughs> right. it. Right. I'm neither of those things and thought it was a delight to read. So it's, oh. and it's also, I read it a couple months ago, and um, I, it's fun to now have it be some, I don't really want to talk too much about books people can't get. Right. right. I think yeah. that's like a little tricky because you it forget. Is. I don't I know people should pre-order but they don't. So yeah. it's really nice to kind of be like now I can really pump it up and you know have people be able to actually click one click after they hear you talking right. about it. It's funny that you say that because I didn't I don't really pre-order either because I want the 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 uh, instant gratification. Like I don't want to order something and then wait forever. Like I want it the next day. That moment. Yeah. So well, but, yeah, especially perfect. if you read an E, you pre-order and then it just like pops your Kindle yes. or your Kobo whenever. And then right. who knows what that book is? You don't remember. I know. Exactly. I, mean, I never remember. I don't so. remember either. And then sometimes, although then sometimes I, I suffer from insomnia. And so if I'm, I'll be reading something else and then I'll wake up in the morning and, and I'll see the email that's like, you know, your pre-order was delivered. And I'll be like, but I was awake and I didn't notice. Right. <laughs> what? I'm the perfect person to take the opportunity to like, you know, get the automatic download at midnight or whatever. Yes. So, um, but yeah, it's hard. So I, I think it's great that the book is out and we can really talk about it. So um, Tia, talk, let's so let's start off with Sarah and I have a list of things that we want to talk about about the book. But first, why don't you tell us, tell us about Seven Days in June? 
Okay, so Seven Days in June is about two famous authors who randomly meet at a fancy literary event in Brooklyn. <laughs> um, and they seem to be meeting for the first time and sparks fly. Um, but unbeknownst to everyone there, they actually know each other because 15 years before, they shared a very torrid seven-day romance in high school. Um, and also what no one knows is that they've been secretly communicating to each other over the years through their books. Um, so yeah. romantic. It so really romantic. It's, it's amazing, yeah. So the heroine writes essentially like vampire romance. Yeah, She's she writes vampire romance. Cressley yeah. Cole or, you know. Totally. Nalini Singh or. <laughs> now, is it Eva or Ava? Is Eva. It- Okay, so, and I love her. So, Eva Mercy is her name, and it's great. Yeah. Her um, her website is evamercyme.com, yes. which made me laugh. And <laughs> I thought, I was like, I wonder, that should you should buy that if that's available. It's good, right? Yeah, it's great. I, and that's the thing I will say to anybody, like, the the details, the humor, it's so clever. I love this. I clever, I feel like my grandmother. But I did. I just, so many times in this book, I just was really delighted by oh. that level oh. of detail. So yeah, um, so she's been writing vampire romance. And, and it's, she has a vampire who, so it's, you know, it's a little bit um, uh, Charlene Harris, too, where there's, mm-hmm. there is a character who f- is in all the books. And his name is Sebastian. And he's super dreamy. Yes. And he looks just like Shane. He looks just like Shane. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I saw on Twitter a couple of days ago, someone said, um, I don't make the rules, but any romance novel with a character named Sebastian is automatically hot. I, I saw that too. And I, I was, was like, like, confirmed. And I, I literally was like running through them in my head. And yes. I was like, God, that, yes. That checks yes. out. I was <laughs> like, yep, yes, yes. We'll make a list, everybody. I'll put it in show notes. The Sebastians. I want to get back to Shane, but this seems like a good point to say, Tia, are you a romance reader? Oh, ma'am. <laughs> I figured. Yeah. So, yeah. If it wasn't obvious when you were reading you it. You have yeah, a favorite is. Sebastian already. <laughs> well, so here's the thing. I grew up with a mom who is an insane romance reader. And mm-hmm. so, and, you know, I was born in 1975. This is the 80s. Jude Devereaux, you know, oh, Kathleen yeah. Woodowis, like all the great, you know, old school, even like some Sandra Brown, she used to be a little, you know, mm-hmm. romancy or um Oh yeah. We've we've talked about a lot of these people. Sandra Brown is yeah. like what we call the book the books that blooded us, the ones that like really made us talking about <laughs> vampire romances, the ones that really made yeah. our blood pump. Slow heat in heaven. Oh, we've talked about that one. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> Listen, like, it I changed like me. It changed Slow me. Slow heat in heaven raised me. Yeah. You were born like, with I, it in you. Just I was born with it in me. It's in myself. Like, yeah, I, I live and breathe. Yeah, I love an old school romance. And I truly, I read those books at a very age and appropriate time. Like me and my sisters would take them from my mom's Same. bathroom. And they would always fall open to the sex scenes because that's what my mom was obviously focusing on in the bathroom. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So that, yeah, I, lo- I love that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's clear from the book when, I from so Eva's, you know, world, from the way yeah. that she, and the way that she interacts with readers, like her readers are, yes. feel like, the thing that people don't really understand about romance readers is that if you're not in the world, is that they really are a community of people who want to spend more time with you, know more about the characters, yeah. know more about the world, 
anything that's not on the page, they're voracious for like extra bits. You know, Absolutely. I've never like wondered about the extra bits in a Salman Rushdie novel. Like, <laughs> hey, do you have any scenes that you've cut out? You know, and what is that? I wonder. Like, why do why? What is it about the romance genre that like that 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 creates that need of, of wanting more and filling in the blanks and yeah, the deleted scenes yeah. and all of that. You know, yeah, because I also am a huge horror buff and. That doesn't really exist in the, the horror way. genre in the same way. Yeah. I think I it's because know. we just fall in love with the characters ourselves at some point. We mm. want these people to be our friends. We want to, like, hang out with them at dinner. And I think that when, you know, it's like we just can't get enough of of these people in our right. lives. Like, they're so real. They give us butterflies in our stomach, too, right? Like, Shane is such a great hero. And there were several moments where I was like, oh, oh, I love him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so Shane is a real posh writer. I mean, he's yeah, super right. literary. And tell everybody about what he writes and how he comes to be. Okay. So... Eva classifies herself. Eva is very self-deprecating. You know, she writes a best-selling vampire romance series, but she refers to them as, you know, airport, last-minute airport reads. Right. Um, but Shane is a really fancy literary fiction writer. So he's the one that wins the, you know, National Book Award and um, has is, the, is a critic's darling. And if you're seen reading his book on the train, you know, on the subway, people are going to think you're an intellectual. Like, it's, it's that kind of a thing, mm-hmm. um, which creates a little bit of a tension between them because Shane is also kind of, you know, an elusive anti-establishment bad boy. And he doesn't really play the publishing industry game. He doesn't play anybody's games. He doesn't even live anywhere. He just travels around and writes sometimes and like rolls out of bed, creates a masterpiece and wins every award and then disappears again. <laughs> right. And Eva feels everyone's like, favorite you know, kind of writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And then Eva feels like she puts forth forth so much effort to produce what she produces. And also she's a single mother. And also, you know, she's mm-hmm. just she kind of looks at him and feels like, you know, women are never really afforded the luxury of just stumbling into something like that. Like mm-hmm. it, women can't be bad boys. Yeah. So it creates a little tension between them. They're different kinds of writers. And we discover that Shane, so Shane has been writing about this character eight. Mm-hmm. eight. And eight. and eight is Eva when they were eight young. is Eva. Yeah. Yeah. And Sebastian is Shane. And so the part where they have this, it feels like Thunderdome almost, like this conversation they have where she's, you know, where, you know, it's like, stop writing me. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you, you, you made me impossibly to kill. <laughs> you first. Yeah. Right? You first. It's this brilliant scene where you just really feel this, like, not just like they're worrying, I don't know, like, sort of belief about, like, what it means to write someone else or write for themselves, but just mm-hmm. this, like... Oh, it's like all the longing and tension. It's so yeah. electric. But I there's also this yeah. feeling from the very start. I mean, this is one of those books where at the beginning you're like, okay, what, you know, you you sort of are set down in this moment and, and Eva's doing this event, you know, and he turns up at this event and it becomes clear that this like fancy, like soon to be a National Book Award winner is 
has read all these vampire novels. And as a reader, you're like, oh, my God, they're perfect for each other. Right. Right. (laughs) What's about to happen? And what's so cool about it is this sense over time that, Sure, they, like, play Thunderdome about the characters, but the reality is is that they don't resent each other for writing. Like, they are owned by each other. It's a faded mate's story. You know, these... Absolutely. So, if you're a second-chance romance fan, this is for you. If you're a faded mate's romance fan, this is for you. Um, It's just magnificent. But I think the thing that also, like, set this book apart for me, really, was how many other things it tackles mm-hmm. about both Shane and um and Ava. Mm-hmm. And and especially I think it's really hard to write um teenagers falling in love, right? It's so and, hard. Yeah. And and they are both really damaged teenagers. They both have just suffered so much. She suffers with chronic migraines that no one Mm -hmm. kind of believes are real. Um, Her mom is, loves her, but is also not present for her in the way that she needs. So talk about like, and and what's really interesting too is structurally, this book is really interesting, right? So it's like set up over the like seven days, right? But Mm -hmm. you're also going back in time to this this other seven days. days. Yeah. Past seven days. Yeah. So it's seven days in 2004 when they were 17 and seven days in 2019, which is present. The present um, of the book. The quote unquote present. Um, And yeah, I mean, so the whole thing came from one night I was watching Romeo and Juliet with Leo and Claire Danes. um, As one does. As one does. And the best one. Oh, it's the only. by far. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I got to the end of it and obviously, you know, I'm an English major. I'm, I'm you know, a t- total Anglophile, all of it. Like why I never thought of this before or asked myself this question before, I have no idea. But I was like, what if Romeo and Juliet hadn't have died? Like, what if they got up, <laughs> you know, yeah. walked away, didn't speak to each other for 15 years and then, you know, uh, met each other as, grown-ups as we're you know like right no longer their wild teenage selves like do soulmates have an expiration date and so i wanted to build a case for the expiration date not existing so i wanted the flashbacks to show that they had this connection that cannot be broken and it was instant and it is non-negotiable so much so that when shane comes back you know that this is going to send Eva's world flying off its axis mm-hmm. because you've already been introduced to their dynamic. So that first time they meet on the bleachers in 20, 2004, I mean, my goal was to show that, you know, obviously neither one of them was in the market for a soulmate. They're 17, they're damaged, you know, right. they have substance abuse issues. They, they have all kinds of issues. You know, they could barely see straight. And yet, there was this thing. Um, so yeah, I just, I really wanted to make the flashbacks powerful because who they were, who they were in the past completely informs who they are in the present. And it's why Eva wants to run away from him because not only when Shane comes back, it's not only the one that got away coming back, but he's also bringing back the girl she used to be, which is terrifying, which is terrifying because she has moved to New York and changed her name. 
She pretends that the old her doesn't exist. She doesn't tell her daughter the truth about who she used to be. Yes, right. And so suddenly she has to reckon with this guy, but then she also has to reckon with her past. And, you know, as I'm sure we all know, that's the toughest thing to do. Well, especially when it's a past that's so painful for her, right? I mean, she's a real... I mean, she really fought her way into the place she is now. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, the her fears about, like, what if my daughter finds out about this? What if my daughter turns out like this? What if, mm-hmm. what if you know, um, I, I mean, it, it was really fascinating. And it feels like that's so hard to do in a romance, like, to kind of hold both of those things simultaneously. But I think the part about the how raw and... Th- like electrifying their connection was back then. And then it's just like lying dormant. But as soon as they see each other, it's like, <laughs> yep, exactly. I think there's also something really powerful about this. This episode is sort of loosely about writers in romance and, and writing writers. So yes. I, as I was reading, mm-hmm. I, I knew this was the topic. So as I was reading, I was really thinking about this, but also I think that there's something really powerful about the fact that both of them are writers and therefore they understand secrets and identity in a very different way. Right. Because that's true. There is a way that, that we present ourselves to the, I mean, as writers, and I'm going to speak for myself to you, but <laughs> feel free to jump in. Yeah. Um, the, as I present myself to the world, and then there's the way I think about the world on the page. Like there's, mm. there are secrets, there are, there's an identity piece that's, you know, there are parts of me that are not in the world, but are on the page. And there are parts that are on the page that are not in the world. Um, and I think that there's something Same. going on yeah. here in this book where they understand so much about each other and they're still keeping they're keeping each other's secrets on page. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there's something really beautiful and private about yes. their love yes. story that no one else will ever understand how they have kept how they have stayed in love all this time. Totally. And gosh, yeah, I never really, I've never articulated it that way, but that's exactly what I was thinking uh, about them, that their whole thing, all these very public books that, you know, and uh, and all, you know, all these strangers have read, none of them knowing that it was like, you know, letters to each other. It was, it was a conversation between two people who couldn't speak in person and this was the only way they could you know and that is how books feel I mean I find there are things that I'll write now and then I think like oh someday when my daughter is older she'll know that this is for her right Mm -hmm. or I mean you I know you have a daughter too and I wonder you know if that was peace I love her I love Eva's relationship with her daughter it's so beautiful (laughs) and like mine is seven and I'm sort of hoping she'll just like quietly just grow up to be like this this girl, <laughs> for the record, everyone lives like three blocks from me. So I, I yeah. feel good about the possibilities. Well, yeah, I mean, definitely. but that's, I mean, so <laughs> I mean, her daughter is like essentially like the therapist to her middle school friends and, yeah. you know, even yeah, like side, yeah, she has a side hustle therapy business and actually charges her friends. For her <laughs> it was so great. As someone who teaches middle school, I really loved checks out. It, yes, exactly. I was like, this That's all feels very real. <laughs> so, yeah. 
But I think the other, but the secret part was also, I mean, so a lot of the secrets were about also like, so one of the things I was telling Sarah that I loved about this book is like when you read about writers and I'm not really a writer. Um, I'm not at all a writer, by the way. Um, it's like, she's, it's like, what are the stories you tell yourself? What are the stories you tell your world, the world? Mm-hmm. And what are the stories in this case, she's telling her daughter, especially about like who her mother is, right? Like, how do you th- thread the needle of, you know, I want you to admire and love the women in your life, even though some of them have really done me wrong. Right. And that tension as a parent, I mean, there's so many things that Eva is holding in her hands all at once. It's it's really, I mean, the book is just like tackling so many things, well, and it's master, just it's masterful. Yeah, it's, it's masterful. Oh my gosh, thank you. No, we lo- we both really we both loved, loved it. Loved it. <laughs> oh, sorry, we're thank just talking you. about how much we love it. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, I do have a question because I, I mean, Jen sort of touched yeah. on this, but. Um, you know, the past for both of these characters is it, the path was not straight and you are so, you so thoughtfully, um, tackle and, and navigate issues of depression, of anxiety, of, um, alcoholism, of drug addiction, of self-harm. Um, and I wonder if you could talk a little about, how you navigate that as a writer, as a as somebody who, you know, obviously thought hard about how to do it all justice and hold people's yeah. experiences safe. So I might as well say I've I Eva is a lot like myself. We do not have the same backstory um at all. Like I my relationship with my mom is fantastic. <laughs> my family is almost the weirdest thing about my family is how functional it is. It's like sitcom family. Um, and I think that's also why I've, every character that I, all of my protagonists in every novel I've written has had a tricky family life because I'm really interested. I've always been really fascinated by how people make it when they don't have a support system like I had growing up. Um, because especially as a mother, you look at your kid and it's like, wow, you're really vulnerable, huh? Like if I lost <laughs> it, you wouldn't know what to do at all. Like, yeah. so I'm always, I read, so Drew Barrymore and I are the same age. And so I always felt like a kinship with Drew because we're both born in 1975. And when she was 13, Talk she about wrote. A different childhood. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> So right. She wrote, she wrote a memoir when she was 13 and I read it and it was, I mean, obviously like her mom was like, peace, you know, have fun at yeah. the clubs, nine-year-olds. Like, and I remember even then like being like, how do you get out of this alive? Right. Yeah. It was called little girl lost. And I was like, wow, this little girl's lost. Like how the hell does that even happen? And I've all, ever since then, I've just, it's just been something I've been interested in. Like, you know, how it works. Um, and it's, it speaks to, you know, the triumph of the human spirit, honestly, you know, it's, it's a certain kind of magic that you have to pull, pull together when it's only you. Um, and so I went into the Eva and Shane story knowing that they were going to have like these really, 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 um, challenging family issues and backstories and, 
when I first started writing, I did that on purpose because I wanted their bond with each other to be that strong, you know, because mm-hmm. they didn't have family. So they were each other's, you know, mm-hmm. family. Um, but the more I started filling in the blanks and I will say, Eva and I, both black female single, single mothers at the time of tweens living in Brooklyn with Creole mothers and chronic migraines since childhood. So we have a lot in common, like our skeleton is kind of the same, but you know, when I started really diving into that, you know, it makes sense. I mean, I've grown up with, I grew up with chronic pain. It's very isolating. It's you, depression goes hand in hand with it. People don't get it. People think you're making it up. Mm-hmm. You're not limping. You're not on crutches. You're not bleeding. You haven't lost your hair. It it uh, You're not checking out as a person who is suffering, you know? And that breeds a lot of problems. It does, you know, uh, chronic pain sufferers are some of the strongest self-harm cases. And it's because along with the control issues, you know, you can't control this pain. And this, so this is something you can control. I learned this. My father was in uh, the army and when he was doing, um, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place, but when he was doing basic training, they taught him, um, they, 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 they didn't teach him. They taught everyone mm-hmm. that um, if you were being tortured or, or if you were, you know, you've been shot or something like that to distract yourself from the pain by creating pain somewhere else. Ah. Like scratching really hard somewhere else or like, you know, uh, uh, delocalizing that pain center. And it was actually something I used to do growing up, just like scratch intuitively intuitively without understanding that that's what I I was doing. And, you know, and self-harm, you know, plays into that. Well, we've talked with Adriana Herrera before about yes, and I know she, her. yeah, she's great, and she's talked about it because um, she's a trauma therapist in real life, and yes. she talks about it, them as being extreme coping mechanisms. Yeah, right. Like that, that that there's this language for it because sometimes we call them like negative, and she's like, it's not really that. It's just that people in ex, in extreme pain will take will cope in ways that seem you know, too much maybe for regular scenarios. And when you think about them as younger people, um, you know, it it really is hard to read because they're in so much pain. Mm -hmm. But you really convey that, I think, in a way that's really sensitive to... It's not, it doesn't feel like pornographic. No. I don't know what right. else to say, right? It doesn't feel no, like. it's incredibly respectful. Yeah. And like. It's really yeah. empathetic. And, yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, I think, I think for me, that was, I used to work with young women who, who self-harmed and who cut and it felt like, first of all, this is the first romance novel I've ever read that had that, and it's not on page, but had that experience for, right. you know, that a heroine with that experience. And we talk all the time on the podcast about how romance is a place where we can have that conversation about mm-hmm. our anxiety and our the way that mm-hmm. we cope as women or, you know, people who are in a particular challenge. Um, and romance yeah. is one of the few genres that allows us to really unpack that. And I think um, I just wanted to acknowledge that I thought that it was really wonderfully handled and 
and like so important to see it on page because as you probably know it's it's almost it, women are more likely to self-harm than than men it's they're like certainly much, much more likely to cut and um it was just so important mm-hmm. i was really grateful to see it on page well the other thing is that i don't you know, you don't really see any black representation, you know, with like when I was growing up, like I saw a lot of depressed white girls on (laughs) in media, you know, like we, we had my so-called life. We had Daria, we had, you know, like we had Winona and Beetlejuice. Like we had a lot of these dark sort of goth, a little bright, sad white girls, (laughs) sad white girls. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't, I was sad. I was not white. But I was sad, yeah. and I didn't see me anywhere. And that is a real thing. Like we're just as multifaceted, and you know, we're just as uh, you know, we struggle with the same identity issues, and we have the same fears. And you know, one of the things that kind of wears me out is this idea that you know, black people in fiction are sort of symbols of oppression, and if. And if we have any pain, it's black pain, right? You know, which is so nuts to me. As if we wake up in the morning and we're like, oh, "Being black sucks." Like it's not that's right. not <laughs> it. Like <laughs> right, 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 right. Like you know, at at all. And being black is fabulous. The what is the, the some of the atrocities that have been done to us are not fabulous. Um, and that's for that's for the white people to reckon with. And it, 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 it's really hard as a black artist to constantly be up against that. Why don't you write more about, you know, the black struggle or like racial, you know, and kind of like how Shane said in, during that event, you know, it's like, well, that's for you guys to figure out. You did it. Right. You know, right. So, right. Well, and we have a whole host of other problems, just like yeah. everybody else that, you know, uh, we yeah. should talk about because it humanizes us. Mm-hmm. Well, and it was, it was interesting, like related, I think at some point, a couple of weeks ago, someone was asking for romances with alcoholism. And mm. I, rec- I, I recommended this book and someone chimed in and said, I think this is the only one that's not white characters. Right. And, and yeah. I, and I thought that same thing, right? Like that every reader deserves to have like a full experience with these characters and it's yeah. it can't just be you know only white characters get to have like the full range of human experience right exactly so it was really interesting to have somebody say i was hoping someone would have one that wasn't just oh, white characters so that's amazing it's great to hear yeah um so we should talk about writing writers wait yeah. jen you want to talk about high and low art which I guess oh, sort of goes into it. Well, I think it was one of the things that I thought was just really interesting about the book is, you know, and, you know, Sarah was on 99% Invisible talking about this, like the ways in which romance is constantly sort of, you know, the shame of romance, right? Oh, and Eva experiences. And Tia. Yes. Tia knows. And I experience. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Right? And, you know, the way that as soon as, um, you know, in romance itself, it's pretty safe space, but as soon as it sort of enters into that world, the immediate sort of blowback. And 
I just was really interested in the ways in which she at times like kind of internalizes that and then other times is like, no, this is ridiculous. And and the way that Shane like never really buys into it because he knows how talented she is. And just like the really the I mean, and maybe the both of you talk about that. Just like how important was it for you to explore this kind of dynamic between which is sort of like between writers, but also between us as readers, kind of that some books are worth more than others, maybe. Right. And I have to say, I think that Shane, I think because Shane loves her, he has a different point of view. Yes. Because I've been in rooms with that with Shane, and they don't think that. No, they do not. (laughs) At all. Nor do they think that about anybody other than their particular romance novelist. Like, their romance novelist is special, but everyone else. (laughs) I know. It's I've been to the Brooklyn Book Festival. (laughs) Hello, the Queen's Book Festival. I told Jen, I was like, I'm going to save it for the pod, (laughs) but I've been there. Yeah. It is tough. Like, I I had someone I, the thing that happens to Eva on the panel when the guy calls her books fluff mm-hmm. that was taken from real life that was taken from the Queen's book <laughs> um, when someone called my books fluff and thought it was a compliment right you know and I guess it's how you receive it right well like, is it though it's how it's said too it's I mean if I said, said it was fluffy you would know I said it with like joy in my heart but yes yeah this was not said with joy <laughs> no. in his heart you know i think it's rude and it's the thing like that um and i always say this the the nathaniel hawthorne quote and he said um easy reading is damn hard writing um Ooh, yeah. and i just think that so speaks to any any genre fiction but especially romance and we all know why it's it's so you know, maligned and poo-pooed. It's because women love it. And content that women love is supposed to be silly and dumb. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, right. like it's an, it's not to be taken seriously until a man claims it as being valid and worthy. Right. And, and in this, your book is a perfect example of how complex romance can be and how, yeah. I, I don't know... There are so few other genres where feelings get unpacked and, 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 I mean, and thought through and expressed in healthy ways. <laughs> and I yeah. just think, um, I mean, we're, we are, we are not only preaching to ourselves as a choir, but right. also to all of our listeners as a choir, but, yeah. um, yeah. I, I have do. to say, because I feel like this is a safe space, but I had a, um, Hollywood meeting with, um, about seven days in June really kind of, you know, kind of a fancy meeting. And this woman was like, yeah, I have to tell you, you know, romance, I don't get it. I don't like it. It's really hard for me to read it, but, you know, unnamed director said that he or she really (laughs) wants to, um, do a black love story. So I was like, okay, I, you know, I guess I'll read this. And I have to say like, you actually can write. Like I was reading and I was like, Oh ma'am, this girl, this girl can really write. When I tell you, I almost jumped through the zoom. Yeah. Like I was or, like, I would what do you mean? Yeah. How do you, that's not a compliment. <laughs> right. Right. It's not a compliment. It's the same yeah. thing. Like when people are, when people want to take down like, you know, massive pop 
songwriters yes, like Taylor right. Swift, Taylor Mariah Swift, Mayer, you know. Taylor Swift, and right. it's like you can't imagine how difficult it must be to write a song that resonates with, with the majority many, with of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah, right. I don't watch Big Bang Theory, but the rest of the world does. That's got to be a tough thing to pull off. Yes. Like that, <laughs> that writing, like that's going to appeal to the masses. Come on. That's yeah. the hardest thing to do, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think one of the things that was so amazing about that both of them, I mean, like Shane had his, like the kids he was looking out for mm-hmm. and the whole, I mean, there's so many other things that they're such like fully realized characters that it also feels like I would give this to anyone. I would give this to any reader because I think if someone said like, just give me a great book, right? Mm-hmm. Like this to me is a book that I'm like, you could find a way into this book, right? There's yeah. so many ways to do it. And I think that, you know, when people sort of think of like a classic romance, it's just like a love story, people falling on page and that maybe that feels claustrophobic. Like this world's really expansive. So but expansive. it still does all oh. of the great things that romance does, right? You know, I think recently on another podcast we talked, I don't know if it was before, if it's going to run before or after this, but at some point, I was listening to a podcast with Victoria Aveyard, who's a um, fantasy writer, a YA fantasy mm-hmm. writer. And she was talking about how the hallmark of great world building is when you feel like you could open a door inside a book and there's a whole nother book happening inside that door <gasps> that, yeah. you know, you're not reading, but like, surely you could read at some point. And I felt like that in this book. Every character over feels over like again. they have yeah. a, a fully formed you know, world around that. I, I would like a whole side series about like the kids downstairs. I want that. (laughs) I want the sleeping house or whatever. (laughs) No, I want the therapy chronicles. The like middle, middle school therapy chronicles. Oh God. Yes. (laughs) But it's amazing that you say that because that is totally my supporting character and villain philosophy. Yeah. I feel like they need to be, because they never know. They don't know that they're not the hero. Right, you know, so right. they need to be fully fleshed out so much so that it's like they just wandered over to your book from the book yeah. where they're the protagonist, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, like and they're that, visiting, but then they're going back. That I think really not to just make romance the most amazing thing in the world, but it kind of is. It that is. comes from but being a romance is. reader forever. You yeah. are so yeah. conditioned to read one romance novel and see all the people in it and go, where's his book? Is he next? Is she next? Mm-hmm. You know, what's happening right. there? Are the children going to get their own stories later? Absolutely. You know? And so I think as romance readers, as people who, you know, learn storytelling from Jude Devereaux and Sam yeah. Brown, right. we're conditioned to think to ourselves, like, who's next? What's happening in this person's yeah. world that isn't on page? Yeah, right. and they and, used to even a lot of the times they had an A romance and a B romance. Yeah. Yes, you know, yeah. bring that back. That, right, bring that back. I love that. <laughs> well, but I also think that it makes us deeply empathetic, and I found myself really thinking about um, Eva's mom quite a bit, mm. and and really like this is a woman who really like does her dirty quite a bit some you know what I mean there are times you're really like she needed more from you but I am fascinated by her as a character because I never I never disliked her right I really was like there is something else going on in this woman's world I would love to know what it is and she did things that she at some point clearly thought were right yeah and I don't want to spoil like right when when things go down and she really like 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to leave it there. And you're like, wow, (laughs) this is someone who, when the time comes, feels like, okay, I really am going to mobilize for my daughter. So I I do think that that's the part, like the family relationships, the friendships, like everything so deeply layered, Mm -hmm. but that connection between Shane and Eva is still so at the core, deeply romantic. The minute you realize they're writing to each other through their books, I was like, I have to lay down now. It really oh is. Oh my god! It really is. Which is which brings us to writing writers because yeah. honestly, I feel like a mess compared to these two, and I appreciate <laughs> that you couldn't just write Eva like unshowered in yoga pants for ten weeks. Right. But, <laughs> <laughs> my experience. <laughs> but I'd like to talk a little bit about how you write a writer. I've never written one because maybe I'm scared of it, but. You've written yeah. two here, and they're so beautiful, both of them, and so different so in different, so many ways. Yeah. Well, because also, as you know, there's so many different ways to write. There's this, you know, there's different writer lifestyles. There's different writer approaches. Are you a pantser? Are you an outliner? Like what, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it has so much to do with like what your personality is. Like Shane doesn't plan anything, and so his books aren't planned either. They just come out, and he doesn't even feel like he should be questioned about you know. <laughs> Right. Where, where they come from or, you know, what he's stealing from or inspired by, you know. Um, and Eva is a planner and she plans everything out. And it's no coincidence that she has a, a 13 book series. You know, mm-hmm. she has created a world so airtight that it just keeps going and going and going. Um, I think with Eva and Shane, I've just in terms of their write, being, writing writers, they're um, sort of duct taped together from myself and all the other writers I know. You know, our quirks, our, our, the way we notice the world, um, the way we pay attention, the things we see. And just in terms of Eva rewriting her history a little bit for her daughter... Um, when I had my daughter, I I had all those writer instinct moments in the same kind of way as Eva. I'm like, how much truth am I going to tell her about sure. yes. me? How much truth am I going to tell her about the world? Even just explaining the way things go. Like, what am I going to shield from her? You know, how can I make this prettier or more interesting? You know, how do I take the dark parts out and give her the good stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that all mothers sort of have a bit of that, but I feel like when you're a writer and your job is to build a world, you know, it's, it's, it can also be your instinct in real life. And it definitely is for Eva. And then for Shane, he's on the run. He's on the run from his past. He's on the run from his present. He doesn't want to stay too long anywhere. Um, he just wants to go, go, go because, you know, he doesn't want to face his past any more than Eva wants to face hers. And I think him blurting out these beautiful novels every four years is his therapy and it's his only therapy, Mm -hmm. you know, it's how he has dealt, you know, with the hand that the universe has dealt him is putting it all together in these books. And I never really said it, but it's in my notes when I was writing it, um, that each, with each books, with each book, he gets a little better. 
Mm-hmm. And uh. and that's what leads him to AA. And, you know, I don't want to spoil too much, but um, yeah. So for, for both of them on a certain level, the books are, are helping them deal with internal issues that they aren't really prepared to deal with in an authentic way. It's interesting because when we were talking, when we initially were emailing about, well, we'll talk about writers and romance. And I mean, it feels like in 2021, you know, right now, Be Treat is like one of the big books. And that's, of course, about a romance writer and a literary writer. Um, so that's another one. If you loved Be Treat. That's what I was going to talk yeah. about. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, well, good. then oh, let's talk about Be Treat. Um, yeah, go ahead. You go. <laughs> yeah. I, everyone knows, I, everybody on the podcast knows I love Beach Read, so. Okay, you guys are talking about it. I love Beach Read. Oh, my gosh. I feel like it's the companion. Like, we, I need to meet her. Somehow. She's fabulous, to too. Seems to be, I've never met her, but, like, she seems lovely. Like, yeah. bright and wonderful and terrific. Totally. Um, okay, so it's about a literary writer and a romance novelist, and they have beach houses next to each other (laughs) and they have writer's block and they just can't figure out how to get out of it. And so they decide to kind of switch lives. Um, And so the woman kind of, you know, takes him on all these like romantic um, excursions (laughs) to get, you know, the romance life in his head. And then he (laughs) introduces her to this insane to backwoods cult <laughs> and like they just switch a lot and it's just it's, it's so fascinating it, it hits so many levels but like i thought it was really smart and it was something i'd never seen before it was like you're inhabiting the life of your crush it's like you're seeing the world yeah. through your crush's pov and that was such a it's such a smart conceit isn't it i've never mm-hmm. seen anything like that yeah um yeah, I, I agree. Uh, my favorite piece, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier about how writers see the world and how, mm-hmm. and I think how romance writers or writers who lean right. toward romance see the world. We we sort of can't help but see the world through a little bit of a rose tint. Mm-hmm. And Beatry does that with, um, you know, she's con- the heroine's constantly saying to the hero, like, well, think about how they fall in love. Like, these two people right. are obviously star-crossed lovers. Like, they're obviously in love with each other. And he's like, we're at a carnival. That's like a teenager running a Ferris wheel and a girl selling hot dogs. And she's like, they're in love. I just know it. <laughs> you know? That's it. And I that feels, like, you. startlingly real for me. But I think, and but I think you're totally right. I think these are two books that, if you liked, it's a perfect if you like. If you liked Be yeah, right. and a lot, a lot, a lot of you did, because I'm... It's here again on the bestseller list. You will love Seven Days in June. So I can confirm that as somebody (laughs) who loved both. Um, One of my picks, so uh, my picks all kind of come in the same package. I was telling Jen this. And I, then of course I was like, oh, we're going to have to unpack this because they are, um, they are, they are, well, there, no, there are two sets. One is, writers who hire escorts i was sure. literally sitting down because here's the thing okay <laughs> tia we're welcome to the tia, world like, hi, welcome, welcome to, to now it's really getting real <laughs> so okay, we love your book I, now we're gonna make a banana now it's yeah. gonna Got get it. weird okay. <laughs> so, no, so i was sitting so first of all you can't google this right like romance novels about yes. romance novelists does not bring up any like you have to just mm-hmm. use the rolodex in your head yeah and i mean I, here we are I, it's, this is what's in my head the first two i picked 
um, where I could think of were Lisa Kleypas's Suddenly You, which is a historical. I know that one. I'm writing it oh down. Oh my God. Tia, it's, it's so terrific. good. Tia, it's also, really if good. you like an old school historical, like. Yes. I don't know old. if you're a Lisa fan at all, but like Lisa, we, I mean. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Suddenly You is. So. The heroine, Sarah, the heroine um, Amanda, is a writer. She is turning 30. She is has no plans to marry. She is a very happily, she's a happy writer. Mm-hmm. Um, she's writing serial fiction in the Victorian era. And so she's like, but, you know, one thing that I have not experienced that I would like to experience is, like, sex. So for my 30th birthday, I'm going to hire myself a man who will just you know, oh, do the business. Good. And yes. so she goes to a woman who owns a bordello and is like, this is what I'd like. And the woman is like, I've got you. Go home. <laughs> you know, I'm sending a man for your birthday. So she goes home on her birthday. The doorbell rings or like the door knocks. She sends away all the servants because she knows that this is, you know, she can't have the servants yeah. around. She right. sends away all the servants. The doorbell rings and in comes this man who happens to be, um, well, so in comes this man, and she's like, oh, here he is. And look, he's handsomer than I thought he would be. And, like, he looks really great. Like, he seems together. <laughs> what a nice choice. Right? Yeah. That woman did the right job. I'm going to pay her extra. Right? So she's, like, kind of ready. And he is a little weird. Like, it's a little weird. She's like, are we going to? Would you like to? And he sort of doesn't. It's clear that something's a little off, but mm-hmm. she can't quite figure it out. And it turns out that this man is the publisher of her books. <laughs> Oh, my God. So awkward. Poor thing. Yes. And then he figures it out, and he's like, oh, no, I got it. Yes, we're doing this. I'm what you wanted. And he, and yes. it's sort of this, like, really wonderful kind of, com- oh. like, through a confluence of events, these to me, and then it just goes from there. And it's actually really delightful. Um, I'm sold. The heroine's yeah, also curvy. If, for those of you listening who love a curvy heroine, this is suddenly is a perfect place for you. But so there's that one. Okay. And then there's Claire Kent's Escorted. Es- which is oh, like, you know great. what? You, I've read never that? read that. No, I've never <laughs> read that, but it's in my Kindle. Like it's sure uh, it's there. Well, I it bought is it. delicious. And I had this moment where I was like, it's not hot girl summer. It's hot book summer. Hot and book we are going to be the right, ones to help you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So okay. Claire Kent's Escorted is also about a writer, a romance writer who, you know, is alone, but like writes, these hot books, and she's on tour. She goes on. She's like a really big deal, very famous. So because she's so famous, she can't just go off and like find a regular go guy, right? Right, right. So she hires a high end escort to you know do the business, and he's yes. great at it. And then she's like, "Hang on a second, like, can we do this weekly?" And then of course they fall in love, and he's like, "I don't, you know, I don't fall in love." And I'm an escort. Right? Of course. I would never. And then, and then, of course, like he would. He just unravels in this way that Claire Kent. Claire Kent writes these like fantastic, very buttoned-up heroes who then like appeal yeah. for heroines. But I think there's something really fascinating about this because it does feel a little bit like writers. Like this was my thing. I was like, are writers saying something about how they're selling themselves? Like, wish fulfillment, but also it's like <laughs> really like an unsettling idea that like no one could possibly love us. <laughs> right? We're so weird. You know? <laughs> I know. It's really but, sad. And, and, but that's real though. And Eva mm-hmm. felt that. And I 
felt that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was swiping. I was on the Bumble app the entire, like for the first half of writing seven days in June. And then I swiped on my now husband, but I was single forever. And so much of it, I'm like, there's so much shenanigans and nonsense in my brain. Like who is going to want to deal with this? You're just, you're constant. Your brain is constantly going. And then when you do sort of say things aloud, you really do need it to be a faded mate, you know, because sometimes you say things aloud and people are like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Maybe we won't date again. So I don't know. I think I, for some reason, I mean, it's my own issue, but those were the first two that came to mind. So my question as a non-writer is, is this a metaphor for like how, putting yourself on paper that way really feels like you're really out there. I mean, right. I mean, I don't know. It's very vulnerable. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you're really bearing yourself, right? Yeah. Bared to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm saying that because I'm looking at her book right right here. Right. Bared to you the entire series. You're like, there it is. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's so, I mean, it's all out there. The thing about romance is like, I mean, if you're the kind of romance writer that writes sex scenes, you have to understand that people are going to think that these are your deepest thoughts and fantasies and or things that you have done, which is always the assumption. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I wrote my first novel when I was 24 and not very sexually experienced, I mean, sexually experienced, but like I wasn't swinging from any chandeliers and, but my heroine was, and I would meet people and they'd be like, Oh, in a cab, huh? I see. <laughs> right. No. Well, we often joke that if we use that model, when we talk to mystery writers, we would be inquiring about their, like how many sure. dead bodies they buried. Right. It's that so it's so sure. intrusive and weird to assume. Lee Child doesn't this... own any apartments. He just, no. <laughs> Lee Child <laughs> is a real toothbrush aficionado. Like, what the hell? Right. Come on. <laughs> so it's, it is a, it's strangely invasive. I think it's deeply And it's because, I mean, it's, it's for all really the reasons that we talked and, about why Seven right. Days in June is so amazing, right? Because romance, at its best, like, unpacks so much of our personal yeah. stuff emotionally. So, and It's yeah. interesting. This is, like, a good segue because I was really, one of the things I was really interested in as I was looking for books about writers is I found a couple where the they're, you know, MF romances, but the man is a romance writer. And I'm wondering now if really? some of, yes, so I'm going to tell you about these. And I'm wondering now if some of this isn't the wish that women or other marginalized writers have that, like, what would it be like to have a man experience these mm. things that we do, right, when we say we love romance or write romance? So maybe that's, like, the wish fulfillment at it, it, yeah. it work mm-hmm. is, you know, like, how would a— how would a man deal with the, that kind of invasive questioning? And right, so one of them is really funny. It's called "Single White Vampire" by Lindsay Sands, and <laughs> he is. This is great. He is. This premise is honestly so so terrific. So he his name's Luke. He's a vampire. He's like a couple hundred years old, and he Luke is a off, great vampire name, by the of way. Of course, that's really good. Yeah, of course. And he 
He starts writing, at first he writes, like, nonfiction, and it's really well regarded because people are like, wow, it's like you actually lived through it, because he did. (laughs) And then he, as kind of a, like, a lark, he starts writing the stories almost like to keep family records of his brothers and sisters fall in love in earlier books in the series. And he writes down their stories and sells them to, you know, sends them to his longtime editor who's like, oh, you're going to write romance now. And he's like, I don't know, I guess. But, you know, he doesn't really, and then his editor dies and he has this new young whippersnapper editor who, of course, is the love interest. And she, the book opens with her writing these letters. Boy, this is your third book and people are really loving it. Would you consider a book tour? And this is you know, early in the series, I think there's now like 35 of them. So I think this was oh my gosh. probably back in the yeah. 90s, right? And so wow. she would write him these long letters from New York. He lives in Toronto. Like, would you consider going on a book tour? And he just writes back, no. <laughs> Sends it back to her, <laughs> right? And right. then she writes a new letter. Well, you know, could you include your phone number? Because I would like to call you and maybe we can talk about this book tour. I think we'd be great for you. And he'll, he'll write back. No, no. <laughs> and he sends it back to her, right? And, like, she'll write back, like, a day later and his come back, like, six weeks later. And then she finally shows up at the door, and he's like, why are you here? And it turns out she had, like, FedExed him her itinerary and was like, well, if you won't give me your number, I'm coming <laughs> to see you. And she has, like, FedExed him boxes of, um, like, fan letters he won't open. And it really is, like, he's just, wow. like, completely, like, no, I'm not going to do any of that. It's great. It's really, really funny. Oh, I mean, oh, that's so refreshing. Yeah. That does feel a little like yeah. what we were talking about before. Like, men yes. can get away with a lot of stuff we can't get mm-hmm. away with, right? Right. I right. mean... It's so true. It's we, a pretty funny... Which, which is why, you know, romance readers love us so much. Which is why sure. Eva's readers love her so much. Right. There's that, yeah. like... Right, exactly. Like, she's, she's writing not, the same she's series and he's like... the fan mail. She's All showing up at the, yeah. you know, <laughs> Eastern Ohio mid middle age. Even though she's got a migraine, she's like faking beginning. it. As somebody yeah. who has faked it through like a yeah. God, it wasn't even oh, a book yeah. event. It was a play date. I'm stuck at a play date with two seven-year-olds right. having a migraine, but like faking it the whole right. way. You gotta fake it. And this yeah, guy's just like, to. no. Well, here's the part that's also really funny. So she's in his house and he goes into his kitchen and he's like trying to like you know, fake, I don't know, suck down a bag of blood or something. She walks in and he like sprays it all over and she thinks that he's cut himself. I mean, it honestly was really funny. Like, of course, she has no idea. Lindsay Sands, she just goes right for it. I mean, she's bananas. It's just, yeah. But it was terrific. Like, his just, he was like, I don't, fan mail, what are you talking about? And then he actually says to her at one point, no one ever responded this way to my other book. She was like, your nonfiction book? Of course they didn't, dummy. So that, yeah, that was great. And then another one that's sort of like this is, this one again, it's called... I'm sorry, I don't usually make fun of titles, but I was like, this title, it's called His Secretary Undone by Melanie Marchand, okay? And here's the deal. He, she's the assistant to this real difficult boss. Her name's Megan, his name's Adrian, and she finds these romance novels, and she's loving them, and she has a couple of, she actually emails the author and is like, I never do this, but I just really loved your books, and I work for a difficult boss, and these romance novels are like, essentially have these titles, His Secretary, whatever and um right does that make sense so it's like yeah it's almost like a story within a story right it's very meta this whole book was very meta and I really liked it and so anyway she gets called into Adrian's office one day and he says well you've signed an NDA 
you know, to work for me. And I'm going to tell you something now. You, I'm like triggering the NDA. Um, I write romance novels on the side and I'm going to, we're going on a book tour and I'm going to need you to pretend to be me, the author, because I can't do it. I'm a man. And of course it's these books. So she's like, oh my God, does he know that I'm his pen pal? <laughs> right? <gasps> And oh, I'm going to read this right Listen, now. <laughs> it was, yeah, that's good. Honestly, it was really delightful because I felt like it really, it was really meta about like the writing and it yeah. turned, I mean, I don't know. I loved it. It was really cute. It was, it was really like a fun contemporary romance yeah, that really yeah. like, I love the boss secretary thing, but the whole thing where he was like, yeah, I'm a secret romance novelist. And, you know, he gives a really stirring defense of romance and readers and how people respond to him and how deeply he respects them. And that's why he doesn't want to like make it seem like he was catfishing them and had his own reasons for right. I mean, it was great. It was honestly the cutest book. And I was like, but I, again, I thought it was really interesting. Like we talk about this a lot, like, okay, if you want, Sometimes if you want people to understand sexism and a man says it, people listen. If you want Mm -hmm. people to understand racism, you can get a white person to say it, people will listen. And I felt Mm -hmm. like this book was really playing around with that a little bit. Definitely. It's very sneaky. I love it. It was sneaky. It was really fun. It was really fun. (gasps) The secretary... Undone. Undone. I think there's a second one that I have not read yet with the same... They have their H-E at the end, but I do think there's a second book with the same... Okay. I've been saving it for myself because I deserve nice things. I really love a romance novel where there's a secret and, like, there's a secret identity or something, and then somebody figure And then it's figured out, but then the question is, like, at what point are they both going to know? And I, yes. are they going to know, or, or at what point is one going to know the other one knows? Right. right. And we um, get like their emails and it, it's, it's really fun. And we've talked about the, this book on the podcast before, but A Summer of Scandal by Lydia San Andres is a similar, oh. it's a historical, it's set in the Caribbean um, and it's set in the 1910s and the heroine is, uh, she's writing serial fiction and mm-hmm. the hero is a critic Who's like, this person is terrible. These books are like worth nothing. (laughs) They're garbage. They're nonsense. Serial fiction is stupid. And she's, and they meet like at the, at a ball and she's like, oh God, this guy. (laughs) And then then, of course they fall in love. And there, that's another one where there's, you know, she knows who she is. And at some point the question is at what point is he going to know and how is it going to come out? So yeah. I love a secret. I also feel like... I love that. Secrets yeah. are so... And I also love the whole... Um, I mean, it's related. The um, the trope. Oh, what is it? See, it's like a secret relationship. No, like fake relationship. Yeah, fake, rela- yeah. fake dating. Like right. To right. Fake dating, yeah. yeah. I love that one, too. Any kind of secret like that. And they have to, you know... Then there's the third act. You know, it exposes it all. I love it. I like it when they're keeping a secret together, right? Like, does that make sense? Like, he, like they're both yeah. in on the secret. That kind of works for me. But mm-hmm. um, I do have it a... Must, this must be yeah. something... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you go. 
I was going to say there, there must be something happening on TikTok because the other day my <laughs> 12 year old daughter came out of her room and was like, mom, what's your favorite romance trope? I think mine is enemies to lovers. Same. <laughs> Me too. Okay. Everyone. Same. <laughs> well, what are you talking about? Like, Do you know what that means? <laughs> like based on what? She's like, yeah. And sometimes I, sometimes I think it's fun. Like when it's second chance, but like I really do love and I, and I think it's to, definitely to 12 and loves a second chance loves her. This is what we were saying about New York kids yeah. being like 10 yeah. years older than their counterparts in the rest of the world. Like yeah. who's your second chance? 12 year old. <laughs> this is first chance. You're like first grade. We yeah. fought over my Barbie. They remember though. I've started to put books up in the front of my room and I just write like the trope, right? I'm like, oh. sec- like enemies to lovers, high school valedictorians. And then, yeah. but TikTok then they is, yeah. I mean, there was just, there's a woman on TikTok who's doing these contemporary romances, but she's pretending to be the character in them. So she like gets on TikTok and she's like, this is amazing. So cool. Yeah. You know, my, right. my, I was in the wedding. My, I, I went to my sister's wedding and I am, you know, I cannot stand the best man at this wedding, but we were the only two who didn't eat from the buffet. And so, <gasps> and everyone else got food poisoning. So we ended up taking the tickets to go on the non-refundable honeymoon. And, and then like, she stops and she She's and like she the unhoneymooners by Christina Lauren. <laughs> and TikTok yeah, lost its mind. And I just lost my mind. Yeah. Like, yeah. Marketing brilliant. So smart, right. right? But you can't, you can't make it. You can't make it happen. It just it has to be organic from, so, from the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna tell you one more, which yeah. is another writer, one I it's real dirty. And I it's hot book summer. Okay, yeah. so in this book called Heated Up by L. Kennedy, which is in, it's in, in an anthology called Hot and Heavy. Okay. It's all these seals. Um, Navy the main, seals. Navy seals. Everyone yes. listening. I was like. <laughs> not wear seals. seals or anything. <laughs> no. Not wet seal. No. Not wet Yeah. Okay. The character's name is Jane and she is a magazine reporter and her sister had been somehow like trapped somewhere and like literally saved by Navy SEALs. And you know, wherever she was. That's what they do. Sure. Okay. And so she, Jane is really (laughs) determined to interview this one SEAL who was part of the deal. So she goes and finds out where she he is somehow. And and she's like, I'd like to interview you for this magazine article. And he's like, I can't do that. I'm a Navy SEAL. You can't put my face anywhere. Like, you know, this is never going to work. And so he's like, forget it. And he rushes off and he gets in the elevator and she follows him. And she's like, I'm going to run this down and really get this guy. And they get trapped in the elevator. Yeah. And they totally have Sold. sex in the elevator Sold. after she's yes. known him for 20 minutes. <laughs> right? It is amazing. And it's great at the end, like the guy like opens up the elevator and she's like, I could tell this guy totally like saw it all happen on the camera. didn't even care. <laughs> and, but the, it's, I will, I will tell you, like, I was like, there is a woman who's going to go to any lengths to get her story. Any yes. lengths. <laughs> any lengths. <laughs> any lengths. Any girth. And I was like, any girth. Exactly. Anywhere. Right. Anywhere. So it's Hot a fun book one. Summer. Hot book yeah. summer. I just branded Listen, it, Sarah. We I'm have all it. been locked up for yes. 15, it's time. 16 months. It's time. It's time. <laughs> it's time. Tia, do you have another book? I'd want to make sure. If you don't, that's fine. Yeah. But I just want to make sure. I didn't because I don't read. I, I don't I I realized I don't know that many writer romance books. I mean, the it's only hard. one. Was, yeah. The right. only one was Beach Read. And like yeah. this isn't a 
the other thing I thought of, which is a movie, but not a book, is Dancing the Stones, because... Sure, of course. I mean, Joan Wilder. Hello, the Joan Wilder. Wilder. <laughs> the Joan Wilder. I said that to my husband the other day, and he did not immediately get the reference, and I was like, what's wrong with you? I was shocked. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, we're missing the stone. What are you talking about? How are we married? How are we married? How did we even, yeah. How like, did we get here? How did we get here? I mean, Joan Wilder. Man, Joan Wilder. Like, uh, yeah. Very important love story. And now they're have making you a new seen, one. Yes. Have you seen this? It's not, it, no, it's not a remake. They wouldn't. Listen. I mean, they wouldn't dare. Oh, oh. Okay. With Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum. Okay. You haven't seen this? And that I love, though. She's a super, like, a uber fancy, extremely popular romance novelist, and he's her bodyguard. And they're trapped yeah. in the Amazon or somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Right? Happy yes. birthday to me. That is that's, what, that's what I want. Yeah. Yes. <gasps> that's all what I want. Yeah. So before we go, I do just want to say, so as Jen mentioned, I was I was on an episode of 99% Invisible this week about romance novel covers. And it's entitled The Clinch. And over the course of it, we talk about what the clinch means and how how important the clinch is to romance in our history and now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we talk about the advent of the illustrated cl- cover and how the clinch kind of has left us. But I just want to say more covers like Seven Days in June, which is so sexy. And I just want every publisher listening to say like, okay, if you don't want the old painterly like feel of, of, you know, historicals, but go look at this cover because it's so hot. clinging to her. Were you just dead when you saw it? I'm still dead. I just, (laughs) and as you know, as an author, like you don't really have that much control over the cover. And more often than not, you're like a little bit disappointed. It's not really what you thought of. It's not how you see Mm -hmm. the characters. Maybe all I told, like they asked for direction. And all I said to the design team was, I want something that makes black love look iconic. Mm. And, it's and nice. that is and what they did. They did. Perfect. I'll never get over it. It's so beautiful. Challenge yeah. accepted. Challenge uh, accepted. That's great. Tia, please tell everyone where they can find you. So I'm on Instagram, Tia Williams Wright. Um, I'm on Twitter, Tia W underscore Wright. Um, Facebook, Tia Williams. My website is TiaWilliams.net. And my books are wherever they're sold. And when you're on the Reese book club, like, how does, is that like a discussion or is it just like a fancy sticker on the book at bookstores? I actually am not sure I even know. Yeah. Okay. So it's, um, it is a fancy sticker, but it's also, so for the, uh, it's uh, seven days in June is Reese's June, um, pick book pick. And so all during the month of June, I've, I've given, I've provided the book club with a lot of exclusive content, essays, you know, um, song lists, movie recommendations, um, my favorite scenes, my favorite quotes, uh, Hollywood casting ideas, all, you know, all kinds of things. And so that's rolled out over the month on um, the Reese's Book Club Instagram and also on the app. Perfect. Well, There's and we'll link to all that in okay. show notes. Okay. So that our listeners can go ahead and check it all out, which will be perfect. This was so fun. Will you come back and talk about Slow Heat in Heaven? Absolutely. <laughs> the book that raised us all. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 
I, yes. <laughs> I will come back anytime. This is so much fun. You guys are just hysterical and brilliant. And, you know, I've just had the best time. So thank Good. you. Well, thanks Great. for coming. Um, everyone, this is Faded Mates. And uh, we hope you're reading something great this week. We hope it's seven days in June. Yeah. We do hope so. Yeah. Hot book summer. Hot book summer. 